is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. You booked a Southwest flight recently. You know what a pain it is if your flight gets canceled. What if that started to happen with lots of airlines? A group of pilots has come out against the vaccine mandates. If they get fired, if they get suspended, things get disrupted. So we'll talk with a pilot who doesn't like choosing between his career and his principles. We will look again into whether it is good to mix vaccines. And yeah, things are more expensive. It's not just your imagination. The pandemic is to blame. Let's start with pilots against mandatory vaccinations. Jason Kunish is a veteran commercial airline pilot, a member of a group called U.S. Freedom Flyers. Jason, help us understand why the vaccine mandate is such an issue for you and other pilots. Well, it's a it's an issue for a couple of reasons. One, uh, there's the people who are not currently uh, vaccinated are have chosen that course for themselves. They have come to a decision after, uh, for the most part, making a, a fully formed decision, looking at all the facts that they can find on both sides of the disc- of the discussion, science, religious, uh, you know, all sides. And they've come to a conclusion for themselves that best suits them and their family and their personal needs. And to have that decision coerced uh to go further, they're going to be forced to make a decision that they would not otherwise, and it is their, their employment is in jeopardy if they don't make the right decision, is uh, non-American. And we realize that this is coming from the federal government uh, specifically, and it's being used through the airlines and other employers. But let me ask you something. As, as an airline pilot, uh, as a condition of employment, do you not have to be vaccinated for other things? Well, no, not not at all. Uh, if we were to go to a specific country or a destination, for example, I'll just throw one out there as an example, China or Brazil, you would need certain vaccinations based on that country's entry requirement. I want to go through the thinking on that. So if you were flying that route and your airline said in order for you to continue flying that route or to fly that route to begin with, you need to comply with that country's laws and be vaccinated against whatever the illness you're being vaccinated against happens to be, what would you do? Well, there's a bidding process within the airlines. And so based on your seniority, you can say, I want to fly this airplane, I want to sit in this seat in that airplane, and I want to fly this route. And there are special qualifications for all destinations. Most of those qualifications apply to international destinations, or I should say the requirements do. And so um, that would be just another requirement based on that destination. But as we see, uh, one week, uh, a specific destination requires a vaccine. And the very next week, they say, oh, you know, what? we're not going to do that anymore. That's not and none of that is your, your employment is not based upon some other destinations requirement. OK, but have, have you gotten vaccinated because you have flown a particular route? No. OK. Uh, is your, your problem with the vaccine the vaccine itself? Well, from a personal standpoint, uh, the vaccine itself, yes. And this is not some new novel concept that people like myself have come up with over the last 18 months from watching some cable news show. Uh, for, for a long time, for well over a decade, myself and my family have made a specific, conscious, educated decision to have a specific health care in our family. Now, this COVID-19 vaccine 
we've looked at it, we've analyzed it, we've read all of the literature, we're fully informed of what's in it, including uh, fetal tissue. It's tested on fetal tissue, it contains that. It also contains other preservatives and, and other substances that are, people are allergic to, including people in my family. In addition, if we were to take that list of, of ingredients and put that into a spoon and put it in someone's mouth, you could be prosecuted most likely for poisoning somebody. So are, are you just uh, anti-vaccination, period? No, no, no. And a lot of people in, in our group and, and a lot of people in the airline industry, and I would say a lot of Americans in general, are not anti-vaccine at all. Not at all. You've been vaccinated for other things? As a child, yes. Right. Okay. So your your particular issue is with the COVID vaccines, all the ones that are currently available specifically. Is that right? Yes. And also keep in mind, when I was a child, I did not have a personal choice in that decision. I now have a choice whether or not to do it. There is a difference there. Your children go to school. Uh, they have to be vaccinated. Do they not? They do not. They're in public school and they do not need to be vaccinated. And this is in more than one state that we've lived in and had this. There are religious and medical exemptions. Okay, so so you so you've so your children haven't been vaccinated, not because the state doesn't require it, but because they have either exercised medical or and or religious reasons. Is that right? Well, the state says we require it. The school district says we require it. However, there are exemptions. How many other airline pilots that you know of feel the same way? Thousands, thousands, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating on that. We're part of usfreedomflyers.org, and we have a database that grows literally by the day, thousands and thousands. And it's not just pilots. It's flight attendants. It's air traffic control. It's ground handlers. It's mechanics. We're, we're, we're tens of thousands, literally. Once the axe is dropped here and, and people are going to be told you can no longer come to work because of a vaccine mandate, Things are going to start shutting down, and it's not because of us as employees. We like our jobs. We love our jobs. We love our careers. And so that's going to have a giant repercussion, not just on the individual families and the employees, but on the transportation industry as a whole. Does your group have political backing? Uh, not directly, and this is not a political issue. At least it shouldn't be. We, we, we do not have a political stance on this. This is not left or right. This is for American freedom and bodily autonomy and maintaining informed consent. But as a pilot, you are regulated to to really the nth degree when it comes to medical issues, are you not? I mean, you have to fulfill certain requirements or certain meds you can and cannot take because it all it's all part of your job. So how is this different? Well, those are options. When I go and get my FAA medical, <clears throat> let's say I have... I don't know, hypertension or whatever, then there's a, and, and, I, and I have a specific ailment. Then the doctor goes to the book and says, all right, well, under this ailment, these are the, the allowed prescriptions that this pilot can take to alleviate those symptoms and, and make that person better. You can also do other things like lifestyle changes, diet changes to, to change a lot of these quote unquote ailments or sicknesses or diseases. For COVID, you know, I don't want to necessarily get into the science. I'm not a scientist. I'm an airline pilot. Uh, but you, you can do a, a search yourself about other alternatives besides the COVID-19 vaccine. So it, there is a choice there. Jason Kunish, 20-year veteran, active commercial airline pilots, and a member of the U.S. Freedom Flyers. Let's say you got the Moderna vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and it has passed six months, and you want a booster. What do you do? 
Boosters for those two vaccines are not yet approved in the U.S. Yeah, you want one today, you got to get Pfizer. That's it. So can you mix? Dr. Catherine Edwards, Scientific Director of the Vanderbilt Vaccine Research Program. Doctor, what do we know about mixing? Well, first of all, just as you said, the only um, booster that's licensed at this point is Pfizer. But tomorrow and the next day, both um, Moderna and uh, Johnson & Johnson will be going to the FDA to get approval of their boosters. So so, um, if indeed that happens, which many people feel that it will, um, then there will be three boosters that will be available. There is going to be some information, though, presented uh, at the FDA of a study, which is called Mix and Match, um, that was done by a number of of vaccine centers. And what they did is they gave different boosters to people who'd been, uh, who'd originally gotten Pfizer, Moderna, and the J&J. And what they found out was that all of them had booster responses, that everybody got a booster, had a big rise in their antibody, but what they, and whether they had been given Pfizer or Moderna or, or uh, J&J in the beginning. What they did find out, however, was that the, the amount of, or the, the height of the booster response was the highest with the Moderna. Um, and then second was with the Pfizer. And then the lowest was with the Johnson & Johnson, although obviously all of them were good booster responses. Remember that um, the Moderna vaccine has 100 micrograms of the RNA, the Pfizer has 30, um, so there's a little bit of a difference in amount of of what's in the vaccine. But I think the bottom line is that when the FDA approves all three, um, that it would be fine to mix and match so that if you got an AstraZeneca first, then you can get a Pfizer or Moderna booster. Um, So that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, when it comes to, say, other vaccines, Vaccines. I mean, there are a lot of companies that write that make things like flu shots or tetanus shots. And I mean, I don't know from year to year if I'm getting the same company making the flu shot uh, as the year before. Are we just all being, because it's so new, just sort of hyper focused on this issue because of the COVID vaccines? I think that that for many um, different vaccines, when they first come out, we we do studies called mix and match. We look at, you know, for instance, they, there's several different kinds of, of uh, DTP vaccines, and sometimes we've mixed them or sometimes we've, you know, but so I think that that's partly that we're just being very cautious and careful um, to make sure that there is a, a good response to all the boosters. Remember also these um, two of them are not licensed yet. So um, again, that the FDA would have to to look at that and make sure that those work. So, so I think the bottom line is that that when we have three boosters, you can get any three boosters um, once they're approved, um, and you can get a Pfizer booster if you've gotten J and J in the beginning, or you could get J and J if you got Pfizer in the beginning, or Moderna, or or that sort of the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, what do you think is going to end up happening? Is it because we've heard from from more than one J and J person who's saying, okay, maybe I'll go get the Pfizer next, but like. Do Pfizer people cross over to Moderna or does this just come down to people thinking that one is better than the other and then hoping to go that route rather than what you're saying is any boost is a good boost? Um, I think that that uh, as, as all with all COVIDs, uh, there's a various opinions. Um, I think that that if the boosters didn't work, they wouldn't be approved by the FDA. So all of them are going to to boost. Um, I think that if you want to end up with the highest antibody level, you might want to get the Moderna or 
um, and, and then the Pfizer. Um, but again, we don't know that higher antibody levels are more protective than lower antibody levels. So I think it's a time that 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 it's a, a, a little bit like a, a injection in your arm is better than one in the bottle. So um, if you're at the pharmacy and they just have a booster with with J and J, then get it. If they have, you know, what, what if they have everyone, then you can choose one of the three. Um, but but you but and, and again, boosters are not yet recommended for everybody. They're recommended for those of us who are over 65 and it's been six months since you've been vaccinated. They're also recommended and should be given for people 50 to 64 with underlying conditions. And they may be given to younger people who have high risk conditions or work in the healthcare system. So um, at this point, not every single person is is being uh, told to get the boosters if you work on your computer at home and you're uh, 20 years of age and you never see anyone, then the boost. <laughs> you're pretty safe. Yeah, yeah but yeah. what a lonely life. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Catherine Edwards, uh, Scientific Director of Vanderbilt's Vaccine Research Program. Thanks. Coming up after a short break, if you think everything is more expensive right now, well, it is. Every time you go out to buy something, whether it's food, cars, a house, whatever, it costs more. Consumer prices are up 5.4% compared to a year ago. It's pandemic to blame for contributing to supply chain disruptions, other factors at work. Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics. Uh, Mark, inflation so bad, people who get Social Security benefits, they're getting more money. Yeah, I think it was almost 6% increase. I mean, that's uh, three times kind of the typical increase that they would receive. You know, inflation is usually around 2 and they got six. So that's a pretty big bump. But of course, they're paying a lot more for everything. So they need it to kind of pay for all the things that they're buying. And it is everything, right? I mean, because you notice just the grocery store, you notice in housing prices, have you tried to buy a car lately? It's pretty much across the board, except, I don't know, airline tickets sometimes because people don't want to fly as much with Delta around. Yeah, it's broad based. I mean, it goes to the pandemic, right? I mean, when the vaccines got rolled out early this year, demand took off. And now the Delta variant has kicked in and really scrambled global supply chains. You know, made a mess of, of you know, any, uh, all these mar- uh, uh, shipping all these goods over the Pacific into LA Long Beach Port, and it's also scrambled the job market. So you've got you know a lot of demand, scrambled supply. That means higher prices. Now there's a, a word I saw in print the other day that I haven't seen in quite you know good number of years actually stagflation Ooh, the scary word yeah that they stagflation talk about, yeah. uh every economist's most dirty word stagflation what is stagflation and should we be worried about it now well stagflation means high inflation well check and low growth uh so uh you know uh, it's something to be fearful of you know it usually happens when you get a shock to the supply side of your economy. You know, we experienced it back in the 70s and 80s because that's when oil prices surge, right, and knock the wind out of the economy. At that point, we were consuming a lot more oil than we were producing. So same kind of dynamic here. You know, you got a pandemic that's screwing, messing with the supply side of the economy. And of course, energy prices are back up again, oil and natural gas. So, you know, some of the same elements that we experienced back in the 70s, 80s. Should be, we be worried about it? Only if the pandemic continues on. I mean, assuming the pandemic kind of winds down here, meaning, you know, well, it looks like we're going to get another, it seems reasonable to expect another wave of the virus, but assuming that that's less disruptive than the Delta wave and each succeeding one is less dis- disruptive than the preceding one, I-, I think the inflation will moderate, the economy will get back, it gets grooved back and will be just fine. But, you know, I think a lot depends on this pandemic. 
Yeah, is it Delta's foot on the economy still, or is it clearing some of the problems, the backlogs, or is it, I don't know, like pro-growth policies? I mean, all these infrastructure packages that they're, they're trying to pass but haven't come through yet. Yeah, I don't think that's it. I mean, I think, I think it is the pandemic. I mean, yeah, demand has been very strong, and yeah, that got a boost from all the support from the government. You know, the, the American Rescue Plan was the last part of that support. But, you know, I take that over not providing enough support and demand being weak and unemployment high and people struggling to you know, maintain jobs. So, you know, it, you know, there's I, I certainly would love inflation to be lower, but, it, you know, it is a side effect of the medicine that's been provided. But, uh, you know, the infrastructure plan and the uh, reconciliation package that's being debated in Washington, that has nothing to do with this. That's for down the road. And that's really about long-term economic growth. You know, it's about lifting productivity growth and, and uh, labor force participation, that kind of thing. So I, I don't think that, that has anything to do with what we're observing today. You know, as prices keep going up, people, you can hear people say uh, out loud, um, uh, how high could this possibly go? Is there really a ceiling? To, to inflation? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we've experienced double-digit inflation in the past. I mean, look, if uh, for whatever reason, oil prices spiked. You know, let's suppose there was some kind of event in the Middle East, or I don't know. Let's say uh, uh, Russian uh, Putin decided to knock uh, to shut off natural gas supplies to to Europe. Uh, you know, I could I could imagine you know uh, energy prices spiking, and we could get very high inflation. So no, there's there's no no limit except at some point the high inflation will will, will in fact hurt uh, break the economy, right? Because people's real incomes, their ability, their purchasing power would erode to such a point that, you know, the economy would struggle. So is there a ceiling? No. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know that I don't take much pleasure. in thinking about that. <laughs> not, the, not his favorite happy subject. How high can it go? So that and stagflation, those are two things you don't want to talk about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, have we started to see behaviors to change? Because if, if people are avoiding certain things because it is costing more, then does that kind of get us rolling into a larger trend and then we start getting into some of the things that you don't want to be talking about? Well, uh, okay, two, I say two things about that. One is people do adapt, right? I mean, you know, if the price of an orange goes up uh, relative to a price of an apple, you'll eat more apples and oranges. So that's happening. You know, people aren't buying as many used cars or cars generally, just well, in part because they can't find it on the dealer a lot, but in part because the price is a lot higher. So we're waiting for prices to come in, which is, you know, a smart thing to do as a shopper and, you know, alleviates the demand pressures and should help. The second thing I'd say, and here's the key thing to get into that stagflation scenario. It's a little wonky, but, you know, if inflation expectations start to rise, if people begin to believe that these higher rates of inflation are here to stay, then we're in a different world of hurt. That's a that's the kind of stagflation environment that, you know, you're, you, you mentioned. That has not happened yet. I mean, but, you know, look at long-term interest rates. They've been very low, and bond investors are putting where their money where their mouth is, and they're saying, hey, I'm not worried about inflation. You know, so, so far that hasn't happened, but, and if it does, then I'll change my tune, and I say, hey, you know, we've got to worry about this. But at this point, that's not the case. Mark Zandi, Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics. Mark, thanks for being with us. You'll soon see more Canadians and Mexicans vacationing in the U.S. Our country will open its two land borders to non-essential travel next month. Now, that is going to end a 19-month freeze that began early in the pandemic. 
Those tourists from Canada and Mexico will have to show proof of vaccination. The decision on the land borders was made in part to coincide with the reopening to foreign air travelers. Air travelers will also need vaccination proof, along with a negative COVID test. The lifting of the bans will effectively mark the reopening of the United States to travelers and tourism. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.